Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you're joining us. This is episode 145. We're recording this Saturday, September 25th, 2021, at 8 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. A lot of football just went down. I mean, it's what we were talking about before we started recording. We got to talk about it a little bit after. I mean, Nebraska just just found the ultimate way to lose. Uh, with the ball, five minutes left, up a touchdown. And, and, uh, yeah, I don't can, know. Can we talk about how they need to change the rule in overtime where if you turn the ball over that you could do whatever you want, like you could literally shoot somebody in the head and you will not get penalized <laughs> for it because there's no, there's there's no way to, there's no way to enforce, enforce it. it on the, on the, on the next possession. I, I thought, I thought there might've been calling like a block in the back or something. I was like, can we enforce that? Like on the next play, they'll start at the 35, but no, if they're just like, no, our quarterback ran and took out like three guys. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> they need to change at that the rule. Knees. He took out three guys at the knees all at once. And, and he saved the game. And he did. And, he, well, he barely, like, if they would have missed the field goal, he would have saved the game. Like, before, well, yeah, he did before at the three time. plays happen. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, that, that was interesting. Nebraska gave up two touchdowns, one on a flea flicker where there was a hold on the guy who was about to sack the quarterback. And a trick punt return, and went full on Johnny Knox there against. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I was thinking was yeah. Jeff Fisher's Rams. Whenever they played the Seahawks, they always pulled that crap. Yeah. Uh, and Jack, then, how about how did Kansas do today against Duke? <laughs> oh, you know, it was uh, a bunch of you know uh, what we want to say like Thomas Robinson and. Uh, you know, some a classic basketball game with a ba- basketball esque final score of fifty two thirty three. Maybe it's more of a women's score. But yeah, Duke uh, covered too. Like that spread was like fifteen and a half. I was like, that's a stay away. There's, <laughs> I wouldn't touch that game. Yeah, and uh, I'm watching the. I may be paying attention to the Ducks a little bit in the background. When do you guys think that Anthony Brown's going to get injured? And, and ruin our season. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm looking at the schedule here. I think it's gonna happen against the Huskies. I think we're gonna go in undefeated, and then he 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 breaks his leg like in the first quarter of the Husky game. And well, then that, isn't, it wasn't it uh, Arizona that that broke Dennis Dixon? Yeah, yeah, but yes, that, but it was. It was. And Arizona was is the worst in the team in the country. Like they they might be worse than Kansas. Like they've lost like. Is like 16 they games in a row. Won since October of 20, 2019. That is totally a team that's going to hurt your quarterback. <laughs> Do you play them? I'm not even play them. We're, we're playing them right now. Oh, uh, that's the game today? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's coaching Arizona now. Is it still someone? No, it's uh, the Patriots like quarterback's coach from last year. What's oh. his name? Daniel? Jed no. Fish. Jed Fish. Oh, that sounds, that sounds right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was a Patriots quarterbacks coach. I'm looking it up. I've I've got on the Beaver yeah, game because the Patriots, I w- he was the assistant offensive coordinator for the Rams and the Patriots quarterbacks coach, and now he's the head coach at Arizona. I went and saw the Beavers play live last weekend, so I, I'm when it when in doubt, I decided to go with the Beavers. That's what I'm watching. So the Huskies are playing right now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
thanks for listening. Make sure you're checking us out everywhere. We're uh, pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, uh, where you can see uh, segments of our podcast there. All that fun stuff. Zach, what's that lovely beverage you have in your hand? Um, this is something called a Raywood, which uh, I picked up because it was under $10 and it had a point points next to it. That's how I pick up my wine nowadays. You know, I can't really get out to Costco as much these days. So as long as it's got like a number between 88 and 94 and it's under $10, I pick that shit up. It's that's a that's a great big uh, I'll take it. It's pretty good. Effective. I'm I'm assuming that that pretty good just simply means it's effective. Uh it's it's working its magic. Yeah. Yeah. Todd, what do you got? Uh, I don't actually have the bottle next to me, but it's scotch. It's a shield egg scotch. It's one of the total wine specialties. And uh, I just bought it today. It's pretty good. Nice. Nice. I'm still working through my uh, my Costco beer variety pack from uh, what brewery is this? Silver Moon. And this is their Pilsner. It's called Moonlight. Moonlight Pilsner. But we're not deep diving Moonlight today, though. Or La La Land. So oh, okay. it might come up later. But yeah, it might cause... appear on one of our power rankings later, actually. Yeah. yeah. Not Moonlight. Not Moonlight. What have <laughs> we been watching? Let's let's talk about this now. Uh, Zach, you're first. So listen, I've had a, a string of strikeouts lately. I've just watched bad movie after bad movie. And that's maybe a foreshadowing to this podcast episode. But uh the one way to relieve that besides alcohol is a Euro trash movie from the Criterion Collection. So I went with 1988's The Vanishing, directed by Georges Sluzier. And uh, it is the story of a vanishing. Um, it is a young Belgian couple who go on vacation and they stop at a like rest stop. And uh, the, the, the chick goes in to like get some beer or something. It is Europe. And uh, she never comes out. And so the guy spends the next three years basically trying to track her down. You know, he thinks he took a picture of her with maybe with her abductor. And then surprise, surprise, the abductor actually starts making contact with him. And I know I don't want to go too much into spoilers, even though this movie was made, you know, over 33 years ago. Uh, but uh, basically, it turns into a cat and mouse game. I would highly recommend this movie to Todd because I feel like there's a lot of Lars von Trier tropes from the last 10 years in it, um, minus sequences that take place in hell. Uh, very much like the talking um, serial killer that tries to intellectualize uh, why he commits these acts of crime. It's a pretty interesting movie. I didn't quite know where it was going. Um, it had that kind of Euro trashy vibe to it, very like emotionally cold, almost like a Michael Haneke movie at times, um, because the killer ultimately ends up being this kind of friendly, jovial Gerard Depardieu looking dude with a family. Um, and uh, it's it's a pretty cool stuff. I'd give it th- a solid three and a half stars. Intriguingly, it was remade with Jeff Bridges and Kiefer Sutherland in the early 90s in the United States. And I bet that was terrible. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've heard I've heard uh, of the movie like uh, one of the podcasts I listen to is like uh, one of the guys a big fan of it he mentions it all the time so it's been on my list very much right. better than anything else I've seen probably in what feels like the last year 
depressing. And that that bodes well for the rest of the podcast. Okay. Uh, my turn now. So uh, I watched my fourth of the uh, 2011 foreign language nominees. So 10 years ago, this was the nominee from Canada. Water. No. Uh... 2011 best but foreign film with... from Canada. Uh, uh, Monsieur Lazure. Monsieur Lazar, yes. Oh, nice. Yeah, Monsieur Lazar. Uh, so yeah, this was the uh, the nominee from Canada. It was written and directed by Philippe Fellardou, and it was um, adapted from a play. And it is about a uh, a grade school, middle school, in uh, in I think Montreal, and um, the uh, kids show up one day to find that their teacher has committed suicide in her classroom. And so uh, they are dealing with the grief and tragedy of this, and they need a teacher. And in walks Monsieur Lazar, an Algerian immigrant who is ready to hop in and take over the class right away. Uh, it is, it's a strange movie. Um, it, it's uh, really heavy. I mean, obviously, if you hear that, that uh, description of what the plot synopsis is, it's a heavy movie. And there's more that goes along to it, too, that comes up. Um, but it's sweet. It's endearing. The ending is kind of bleh. like it kind of it kind of it's one of those movies that that spins itself a story that there's no way to end it. And so they don't. And so I didn't necessarily like the ending, but it is a sweet story. It is engaging it. Um, the the main character, Monsieur Lazar who is played by uh, Mohamed Felag. He is very good, and I uh, I really enjoyed watching him. Uh, I'm giving it a I'm giving it low three stars. Uh, it, it's it was an enjoyable watch. It was it was sweet, but I wish it had wrapped things up a little better and not made itself impossible to end well. So that's my uh, that's my review of Monsieur Lazar. Have either of you seen this? I have. I have not. So here's the things with Mr. Lazar. First of all, I get it confused with the class. To me, they're the same movie. I can't distinguish which, which one. I think one is an elementary school. One is in the high school. I can't remember which is I which. I think the class is in the high school, but the class is different. I no, mean, it's the class a, it, is, is, is just French. telling the story of a year and and the ups and downs of a regular school year. This is like tragedy and the fallout from yeah it. It, it i do remember it's it, what i i do wonder about what kind of teacher she not only kills herself but she kills herself in the classroom i, I mean that's that's a that's a bold move mm-hmm. um i really like the ending when it's revealed that mr lazar is actually named dewey finn and he's touched all the kids <laughs> uh so i don't know what you're talking about with the ending but um yeah i'm a big fan of this movie solid three and a half stars but i quietly don't remember which one it is but i think I, I i remember the suicide parts which you know gosh what's with all the suicide man i mean this movie and then the next movie it's a it's a recurring theme i, I will say i love the class and one last thing i want to mention is uh i did also see the alpinist and uh for more on that i wrote a review yes Whoa. i wrote a review it's like the first review that any of us have written in like a year and a half <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> the Alpinist? Yeah, I've never. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's I mean, the, I know what a review is. <laughs> no, it, it, it's it's the the documentary about uh about the climber. It's kind of like, Free it's kind of like 
uh, Free Solo. It's a lot like Free Solo. Like Alex Honnold is interviewed several times throughout the movie talking about this other guy. I, I'm surprised neither of you have heard of that movie. Okay. No. no. I've been, it, I, I've been seeing previews for it when I go to the when I go to the movies. The yeah, only documentary I, I the only documentary I see previews for is Jackass. <laughs> well, <laughs> Which I saw again today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that one too. Well, Alpinus has been out for like a month too. Anyways, review there. You can check it out. Todd, Matt Dillon this week. Yeah, uh, right. I watched. From 1982, the David Fisher movie *Liar's Moon*, uh, where Matt Dillon plays Jack Duncan, who is like a Texas farm boy in like the 40s, and he graduates high school and falls in love with Jenny Peterson, uh, who's the daughter of the town baker. And uh, it's sort of like a forbidden love for reasons that you don't really understand until you go throughout the movie. Like their their families sort of have a history, and there's a class difference kind of thing. Their parents like basically strenuously object to them. Uh, uh, being uh, together. The director's only other movie was Toy Soldiers, which is a movie that I know people have watched, but I've never seen it. It uh, seems like a weird mix with this movie. Uh, it, this was evidently Oscar winner Broderick Crawford's last movie. But uh, Matt Dillon is kind of awesome. He's he's like doing this Brando thing to fit with the setting, but he's trying to be James Dean, but he almost comes off like a hulky version of like Anthony Perkins because he's a little awkward. It's like a really complex performance from Matt Dillon. He's like really good in this. And um, uh, Ty, uh, Susan Tyrell, I think, completely steals the show. She doesn't have a big role, but she was nominated for this uh, movie, Fat City, which I really loved. I think it's the best boxing movie that I've ever seen. But she, like, uh, she's nomination worthy in this. She's she's completely amazing. Uh, she was in things like Big Top Pee Wee and Cry Baby, which I think, if I remember right, isn't that like Zach's wife's favorite movie or something? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm not wow. crazy. I thought I thought of that oh. when I saw her. <laughs> but um. I think the movie is a really good representation of its time and the social struggles of the characters. It's a little Bonnie and Clyde-ish and how it tells the story. And it doesn't have like the male gaze kind of thing. It's not only about the Matt Dillon character, the, uh, what's the girl's name? Cindy Fisher, like her character, uh, uh, it goes through her struggles too. And like how, how in her unfortunate situation, which I was actually really surprised about. The weird things is that there was a lot of parallels to like episodes of Saved by the Bell. There's also like this weird like 1980s dirtiness like Porky's kind of thing like with supporting characters that aren't really needed to be there, but it, it does uh, ultimately tell a really sincere story. And Matt Dillon and uh, Cindy Fisher are really good in it. It's a little soapy, but I think it works, and I'm giving it three stars. Uh, it actually ranks number six on my Matt Dillon list, which is making me think that I actually like Matt Dillon more than I like his movies because. I don't know. I'm not really crazy about the movie, but it's a solid three stars and it ranks number six. Nice. Yeah, whopping 584 votes on uh, IMDb. Yeah, it's available on Tubi. So you, if people can watch it if they want to. The movies I have ranked above it, by the way, are uh, Over the Edge, There's Something About Mary, Crash, there, The House That Jack Built, and Drugstore Cowboy. Only three of them I have as three and a half or higher. So yeah, more a fan of Dylan than his movies, but I'm enjoying this little side project. Very nice. Very nice. So wait, you're not a fan of the Matt Dillon movie where he, it's uh, Wild Things? Where's that on your list? That's 13. Really? I like that movie quite a bit. It's How many are on the list right now? Uh, I have 24. 
And Rumblefish? Where's that? That's 16. I have a pretty long list of two and a half stars. Wrong movies. The Outsiders, I have uh, 21. Out of 23. (laughs) 24. 24. And Kansas, where did did Kansas rank? Kansas is 18. What's 24? 24 is uh, In and Out, which I don't even remember his part in that movie, but that is one of the worst (laughs) movies ever made. He's the guy that wins the Oscar. There we go. The, 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 the catalyst, the inciting incident. All right. Well, let's move on. Yes, please. Yeah. So that's what we've been watching. It is now time for our featured review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. And for this week... Uh, I get to talk first because I I somehow was able to talk them into watching this movie um, because they didn't want to. And they wanted to talk first about it, but or Zach did. But I get to talk. No, about I it had anyways. jokes that I wanted to say about it. first. Oh, I didn't okay. really want to say anything. I just wanted to make some gotcha. jabs. Gotcha. Easy well, jabs. Uh, it, it, it was the biggest movie that came out this weekend in theaters. It is Dear Evan Hansen. Dear Evan Hansen, today is going to be an amazing day, and here's why. Have you been doing those letters to yourself with Dr. Sherman? I've been trying to. Have you ever felt like nobody was there? Um, no one signed your cast. Now we can both pretend we have friends. I'm sorry about my brother. Have you ever felt forgotten? In the middle of nowhere. I wish everything was different. Wish I was part of something. I wish that anything I said mattered. Have you ever felt like you could disappear? Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah, yeah, that's mine. I'll, I'll, I'll just take it. Wait, I really, I need that back. You could fall and no one would hear. Connor took a letter from me and it was an assignment from my therapist. Ew. Even when the dark comes crashing through. Connor's mother and stepfather here to see you. When you need a friend. To carry you. Connor wanted you to have this. And when you're broken on the ground. Dear Evan Hansen, he wrote it to you. His last words. Connor took his own life. He won. I'm sorry, Connor didn't write this. No, no, no. Please. It's this. You will be found. We didn't think Connor had any friends. I mean, you really gonna tell these people that the only thing they have left of their son is a letter that you wrote to yourself? So, you and Connor, tell us something, please. Right, um, I started talking and you couldn't stop. They didn't want me to stop. I'm putting together a memorial service. If you wanted to do something. Connor showed me that, that I wasn't alone. Nobody is. So, let that lonely feeling wash away. Maybe there's a reason to believe you'll be okay. I didn't know that you were hurting. Because when you don't feel strong enough to stand. A lot of people feel like us. You can reach, reach out your hand. People started sharing it. It's everywhere. I don't understand what happened. You did. I don't know how much you've given my family and me. You will be 
actually friends with him. I never meant to make it such a mess. I was trying to help. If you knew who I am, just how broken I am. I already know you. Let's talk about what this is and what I thought of it. So this is adapted from the Tony and Grammy award-winning musical. Evan Hansen is a high school senior who has a lot of anxiety, depression issues. He sees a therapist and he just is struggling to get out the door to go to his first day of school. Uh, and he writes letters to himself to try and help give him a little pep talk. Dear Evan Hansen. I hope uh, this is going to be a good day. Things like that. Well, when one of these letters is uh, is printed out and found by one of the school bullies and just weird kids, he like freaks out on him. And then uh, this bully named Connor ends up committing suicide. And one of the only things that's on him is his letter. And everyone thinks that this letter was written to Evan Hansen. And he sees an opportunity... Well, he sees an opportunity to connect, but also he doesn't know how to get out of this situation without feeling horrible about himself. And so he creates this friendship that they had uh, in order to make the family feel better, in order to make him feel better, to give himself uh, some belonging and purpose. Uh, In me talking about it first, I'm the only one that has any experience with the source material going into this. I've seen this show live before, and the show is absolutely amazing. Uh, it, it is a brilliant show, uh, and uh, Ben Platt plays Evan Hansen, and he I didn't see him play him on uh, when I saw it live, but uh, he's the original person who played Evan Hansen. He's now 28, and he's playing a 17, 18-year-old. It looks weird. Uh, okay, it looks weird. If you can get past the fact that he is way too old for the part, which let's face it, almost anybody who plays a high schooler is, but this is kind of ridiculously too far. Um, he's really good. He, he's good at, he, he, you can tell that he has lived and breathed this part for a long time. And he, he is the embodiment of Evan Hansen. He's not the problem with this movie. Uh, this movie has a lot of other issues and I, you can't not compare it to the source material if you've seen it on stage. On stage, this this um, this musical has a lot of life to it. It has this energy. It has this this weird quality of kind of embracing social media in in the backdrop of of the show. It's it's really really cool. Um, but it's got the it's it's this bright colorful energy that just pops at you throughout while it's telling this story. And I think, I think the heart of the the story and the music are, are brilliant. I think it's, it's a very moving story that um, if you can get engaged with, it's awesome. And the music is, is um, incredible by, um, by Justin Paul, Benj Pasek. They're the ones that wrote uh, the music for La La Land. They wrote the music for greatest showman, things like that. The problem here is how they adapted it. And it 
is not a good adaptation. Uh, Stephen Chabosky, Chabosky, I think is how you say his. I don't know how you say his name, uh, which is fine because he doesn't know how to direct a movie. Um, This he he does horrible. It's it's a horrible job, and it takes this bright, energetic, and uh, stage production and makes it this dull, bland melodrama that that takes all the life out of it. And, and un, until until a song pops up, but even when the song pops up, the editing choices are ridiculous. I mean, the whole the the the, the whole piece requiem where you have like the crossfading between the three characters that are singing a trio. I mean that that's like corny. That was corny in the seventies when if you did that, and and now you're going to do it now. It. It's it's manic and all over the place and ridiculous and and bad. The direction and the editing are horrible. Um, with all that said, the performances are solid, and I have way too much respect for the source material and the wonderful music um, to give it anything less than three stars. But if they could have adapted this well, it could have been a masterpiece. And instead, it's it's well i guess i can watch a movie of the stage play like this would have been better if it, if it got the hamilton treatment film the stage version instead of make this crap i mean i think hamilton's kind of ruined stage adaptations from now on but if you're going to make a movie of this make a good movie instead of a bad movie with a great story and great music so Three stars, but it's just because the stage version is so good and the source material is so good that that's all that that's the only thing carrying it to three stars because everything else about it was pretty pretty crap. So performance is fine, but yeah. Okay, Zach, you want to go next? Yeah, I mean, this I what was that review, man? I, I'm going to review that <laughs> review. That was like a two star review. Like, what are you talking about? Like. Okay, so you you hated the movie and you thought the cross dissolves were awful and you thought that the cinematic conventions were terrible, but you liked the original musical, so you have to give it three stars. Are you like contrasting? I like the story. I like the story. I like the performances. I like the and I I love the music. So if it was like this, that the the Jack Black most deaf movie where they're in the video store and they remake the movies, you would give that thumbs (laughs) up just because their version thumbs up just because you like Dear Evan Hansen. I I mean. Be kind, is, rewind. Be, yeah, that's it. Be kind, rewind. Yeah, <laughs> that would make such stars. an interesting musical. Because who would who would was it would it be most deaf as Evan and Jack as Connor? I don't know. The guy who played Connor is also like twenty seven or twenty six or something. Yeah, he looked really. And Caitlin Deaver's like twenty three or twenty four, but she still looks like you know <laughs> fifteen. I, I, Amanda Stenberg, I think, is the youngest, right? Rue. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I don't her know how song, it is. her song was was original. That was not in the original show. So okay, who are we going to? I I, I said we're going to you, Zach. Me? Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um. <laughs> all right. So I I went into this movie uh, having seen the trailer way too many times. I apparently I've seen this trailer as many times as Todd has seen the Jackass trailer. I mean, you know, I never had seen the trailer for this. Really? You gotta be kidding me! I saw this shit all the time, and it's been it's it feels like it's read been my review for, for the years. Alpinist. Okay. (laughs) 
So going into this movie, I had my hopes really high. I was hoping it would be downsizing slash Space Jam 2 level awfulness because I thought the trailer was appallingly bad. The trailer did not make it look good. Oh, the trailer is just horrific. Um, and sadly, to my chagrin, um, this is not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, there's actually uh, several kind of redeeming factors to this movie. Um, one of the things I like about this movie is that <laughs> it asks the question, what do you do when someone dies, let alone kills themselves, and they were someone who nobody really liked? And so what, do you just kind of like make up stories about them? Do you like try to focus on the positive? Incidentally enough, I've been rewatching The Sopranos uh, season three in preparation for The Many Saints of Newark. And I just watched the episode when Tony's mother dies. And basically it's, it's very kind of similar to this movie. They have the big wake for her and everybody is just trying to make up stories about her, even though they all hated her. Um, and this dynamic is also explored in movies like Bernie and um, a little bit Moonlight Mile. And uh, I also wrote down the Susie episode from Seinfeld, even though Susie wasn't disliked. She just wasn't real. Anyway, I think that, about World's Greatest Dad. Th yes, there. Yes, of that's, course. That's World's a good one. That, yeah. yeah. So there's a I, lot of parallels in how they treat the story on thought. Yeah. 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 I, I was actually kind of intrigued by that. And. I got to say, I, I, I thought it was interesting how I thought it was relatable in an odd sort of way why Evan Hansen would indulge the way that he indulges. And I thought it was somewhat believable that the character played by Amy Adams would uh, act in the way that she acts. Now, one of the problems with the movie is I think Amy Adams is miscast. I think she's way too much of a normie. I wanted someone with a little, little bit more eccentricity. So I wrote down a couple names. I wrote down Tilda Swinton, Olivia Coleman, and the chick from The Souvenir. Apparently, I want this mom to be British. I, I feel like that would bring out, you know, the, the, the mom being somewhat uh, del delusional, right? What's the movie that has the line, never underestimate the power of denial or delusion? That's from something I've seen the last few years. I, I think that that could have been the direction that this movie could have, should have gone in. Um, and I also don't know how uh, Hugh Jackman didn't play the stepfather. I'm just going to put that out there. But uh, no, I mean, this movie is a mess. Uh, and, you know, it's easy to poke fun at the plot holes. It's easy to talk about how Ben Platt uh, looks like he's 40 and Julianne Moore is really 65, even though she's a mother to us, to everybody who needs a mother. Uh, but the truth is, I think what's more upsetting about it is that this movie uses um, this artifice, this sort of contrivance of the suicide of a character that fundamentally no one really cares about, um, even though we're supposed to care about him. No, I, I feel like the strength of this movie is that they should be kind of lambasting him and talking about what an asshole he is. I mean, he's a total dick in this movie. He wins the douchebag award for this movie very clearly. Um, the songs are incredibly unmemorable and they're distracting. And uh, I, this was in Bernelli's review, so I'm, I'm stealing from him. They should have pulled a James L. Brooks, I'll do anything to this movie. They should have taken out the songs and instead just made it uh, the, the story. That would have been interesting. I also kept thinking about how um, if this, I have a new scale that I apply to movies, which is how, a question I ask myself every time, which is how much better would this movie have been had it been directed by the Dardenne brothers or Oscar Fahadi? And the answer is, much better but the truth is every movie would be much better if they directed it but the point is i feel like had this movie been less sensationalistic a little bit more like 
like intimate and maybe use a handheld camera instead of the bullshit, you know, kind of theatrical musical style. Um, I think you would have gotten to the heart of what makes some of these interactions um, really awkward and kind of painful to deal with. I didn't understand why there's a there's a plot twist kind of toward the end of the movie that involves Amanda Stern, Sternberg re revealing the letter. I didn't understand why there was such a negative backlash to it. I was like, I mean, I did fall asleep during parts of the movie, so maybe I missed some some plot some plot points, but I, I didn't understand that point. I also got to say, I don't know who films a therapy session, but that was ridiculous. Um, and. Uh, so they, another part is they, they go to Colin when he's like in second grade and they show a picture of his favorite books. What's, what second grader reads Kurt Vonnegut. Okay. I mean, I'm sorry, but like, and then they go, <laughs> like that's ridiculous. Anyway, two stars for this movie, mostly because it reminded me of better movies. And I, I gotta say uh, at two hours and 17 minutes, I, I, I stood, I stayed the whole time. I can't believe I did. It wasn't as bad as I thought, but, uh, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not saying very much, unfortunately. Saying that the music was unmemorable is ridiculous. Oh, the music was terrible. Damn. I couldn't. I can't think of any song that uh, remotely, uh, you know, I, I could recall. It, it was all so bland. You're blind, dude. You're blind. He does have a good voice, though. I'll give you that. Even though he's also the producer's son, which maybe explains. Yeah. The well, there's. Too. Yeah. I didn't know that. It what all gets a little blast? incestuous. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, Oliver Platt is his dad. Exactly. <laughs> they they look a lot alike. Wait, who's he, the producer? It, it, the producer is Mark Platt. Mark oh. Platt. He also produced the Broadway show, which may have been how he got the part in the first place. Okay. But it, he's also good. I mean, like you said, he's got a good voice. Uh, he's he does have a good voice, and you're right. I think if you watch it, you know, I mean, okay, yeah, he, it it looks like an SNL sketch at the beginning. With like Rachel Dratch playing a teenager or something, but like in the tight shirts and the slouching get a, are a little excessive. But you know, whatever you can kind of move on. Maybe maybe it's other problems that get in the way. He he he's three fourths of the way to the EGOT for playing this role. The only thing he didn't win for this role was the Oscar, and he won't. Well, this hey, year, but jury's he, still out. You never know. Yeah, I would yeah. say this is a Golden Globe movie, but I don't know how relevant that is. <laughs> All right, Todd, what do you think? Well, one, I, I'm pretty sure Tilda Swinton's the character in The Souvenir, so I don't know what Zach's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you did say Tilda Swinton. <laughs> Maybe I just Tilda Swinton's voice on a phone. And yeah, I did think of Julianne Moore in Boogie Nights when she was sitting on the couch with, with Ben Platt, like, singing to him. I was like, this is totally that scene in Boogie Nights where they're they're like, like, can I call you mom? And, you know, like, but I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, this movie, it reminded me of two things. That is Love, Simon, which has some similarities in how it's told, and 13 Reasons Why, which also treats um, like a young person's suicide and it, uh, in a way that kind of romanticizes it, but it, it just sort of makes it they're like a martyr and they're like some sort of like hero to like their generation. And a lot of people are criticizing it for that. I kind of respect that because... I don't know. I mean, to, to Ben Platt, it's like his character. It's like he's um, it's like an imaginary friend to him. And I, I can respect how they told the how they told the story. But I actually agree with what Zach said about how it didn't need the music, because this could have been like a really awkward because it is a really awkward movie. It could really awkward uh, high school drama, which is the thing that Shabosky actually does really well. I like Perks of being a wallflower like quite a lot. 
And I, I think about that movie quite a bit. I, I think that this could have been in that vein, a really, a really interesting movie. Ben Platt is too old, but I think he only looks too old in like a couple of times. One is when he smiles, which is just terrifying. It's like it's like that one. What's that one? That one show where the the girls play the like forty year old girls playing a high school boy that Terry can't stand. Oh, oh, that's the, what Nassim Padrad. What is what? I don't remember what it's. Yeah, called. whatever the hell that shit is. That's what it reminded me of at when he smiles in the movie, which it doesn't happen a lot. But it, it, and also when he gets dressed up for the prom, he also looks like he is like older than I am, which is pretty old. He looks um, like a chaperone. Yeah, he does exactly. I, I don't know, and also uh, Ben Platt also looks like he's performing on stage. Like he's doing a lot. Like he like he like moves his hands a lot when he's like trying to hit high notes and stuff. It's it's like he. It's like he's really going for it. Maybe like having it pre-recorded would have been done better because you can really tell they're actually singing live. I don't think that's the way to go on stage or like on on screen. I think it, it kind of ruins it. Um, but and like I said, like World's Greatest Dad is another movie I, I really like that that treats suicide in a similar way and it, it like sort of like molds it into something else. I think it becomes a train wreck after the like whole project thing starts. It, it becomes really over dramatic and manipulative. And the songs do just sound like uh, adaptations of Greatest Showman type stuff. I think it's okay. It's not as bad as the reviews say, but I'm with Zach. I'm, I'm in giving it exactly two stars. Well, really, these songs, or Greatest Showman songs sound like these songs because they came first. But, um, and I, I will agree, it, it does kind of fall apart a little bit and unravel in the second half after the speech. Like, the speech is... Like everything up to the speech is the the story holds really well, I feel. But then after that, it kind of falls apart a little bit. But because there's really not a whole lot of singing yet. Like there's only there's like one song in the first like 45 minutes. I was like, oh, this maybe isn't like they're not just going to sing in every scene. But it does sort of like make all these like scenes that could have been really intimate and dramatic. It, it sort of just makes them sort of corny because they start singing and walking around a room. And I feel like the way the reason they feel corny is because of how they were shot, not because that not because they are not because it's a musical number in the middle of that scene. Like like the 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 corniness came from the over Hollywoodized way that that Jabosky decided to shoot those scenes. That 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 was my biggest issue with it is how he chose to to embody those especially the the music numbers in the scenes it, it just it didn't work at all and it it made it feel corny i agree yeah i don't know if i totally agree with you that it falls apart at the end actually i thought i mean i thought it, there was an interesting stretch maybe at the two-thirds mark like the scene when uh Caitlin Deaver goes over to his bedroom and is like, I don't want to talk about my brother anymore. I mean, that's the most interesting part of the movie, which is the idea that they, they all kind of hate Connor, except for maybe Amy Adams. They all kind of realize at some fundamental level that he's a loser, so like, or that he was a dick. So it's like, you know, do we kind of play, are they playing along? Like, maybe at some fundamental level, they realize that there's no way these lo these letters are authentic. And then I was wondering about the Julianne Moore character. Like, there's no way that she believes this stuff either. So, like, a more interesting movie 
which would have been French, would have taken these uh, characters in a more complex direction and maybe, you know, had had sort of agendas or, or, or misunderstandings or, you know, things that the characters knew but didn't really want to acknowledge. But this movie is just more interested in dumb musical numbers to actually care about that. Well, but things Let's make like it a Darden like... Brothers movie and just remove the entire plot and then you have a good movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. of course. It would have been more like a Vinterberg movie or something than a Yeah, that, that's actually yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, things like this when you're dealing with like teen suicide, like nothing makes sense. Everybody internalizes everything and everybody is going to make that person sort of like like I don't know, they're going to immortalize them in a way. And th th I, that is something I really like about how this story is told, but I just don't like like the technical aspects of how it's told, I guess. Yeah. It's a good story, not a great movie. My biggest hot take is I actually think it's better than The Perks of Being a Wallflower. I've I mean, never seen The Perks of Being a weird. Wallflower. Yeah, I, I, I actually think because I, I, it doesn't, I, I don't think it romanticizes high school quite the way that that movie does, which I think is borderline criminal. But uh, I don't know. To me, it's this movie is more about like missed opportunities and instead of you know easily you know d d shitting on it through easy kind of jabs and criticisms i think there's a depth to this movie that i think is misunderstood and under underexplored i wonder if the stage version did more of it but uh really you cut you cut out those music numbers too and then you're probably at you know about an hour 35 hour 40 and you know it's 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 much more tolerable at that point another fascinating thing about the stage version is it's a stage version where i think the cast is maybe six or eight people and that's it um, and, and so it's a it's a really small cast and and but it works like everything everything about the stage version works I I feel and you're right there there's a depth to the story that everyone is missing because they just want to you know have the hot take on it and and I I think I think the the whole idea that I mean Evan says in there that you know Connor saves him well. He never really knew Connor, but Connor saved him. Like he was able to find himself by pretending that he had this relationship. Yet at the same time, you look at what he did, and it's horrible what he did. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 And like I'm saying, it's the first he thing he did. He's it was his imaginary friend that he created, and it was good for him, and it was good for these other people. But it was horrible. <laughs> like, yeah. And like, and because it had to come down at some point. Right. This, yeah. This movie's also just horribly earnest you know it's so earnest that like mad magazine would have made fun of it you know 60 years ago and so like you watch like an episode of euphoria and compare it to this and the movie i'm sure it just looks far worse because there's no sort of authenticity in how teenagers interact today by the you way think of 13 reasons why that's another that's another thing that has some seriously old people playing high schoolers i think the one yeah. guy was 31 did my predict was my prediction right i only saw 60 year old white women at this movie those are the only people in the audience. No, I sat next to people that were at least like probably my age. I I walked in and the I I saw it last night. So opening night, Friday night, um, at seven ten, and I was the only person in the theater until the final preview when a family of like five walked in. See, that's the way to do it, man. You know, you, you got to go to the theater like 20 minutes late and you can ask the usher, has the movie started yet? Do you guys do that? I just discovered this trick like a year ago. And like, I, you know, I don't mind now showing up 20 minutes late. I don't need to see another commercial for Coke. 
or to be told where the escape, the emergency exits are. I like watching the previews. You you have an emergency exits? <laughs> yeah, the AMC here does it. I think it's you know still after the Colorado shooting eight years ago. Now they do the shit with the we we spray down our our seats and welcome back to the movies. And now they got oh, Nicole they Kidman do that doing anymore. it. Like we don't we don't need that. I you know. I get to ride the Regal roller coaster every time. Oh, I miss that. I haven't seen that in years. I get to do the the new V arcade game. Yeah, I do that. Oh, I, you yeah, know, we do that too. Has I anybody got, I got actu- a... ever actually done it? I I did. I did it today. As well, I was uh, James Bond, I was driving the car. <laughs> I've never seen anyone actually do it. That's impressive. I was the only one around at the time, so might as well, right? Yeah. All right. Well, I give it three stars. Todd and Zach give it two. I will say if you if you've seen it, if you've seen the stage version or if you, you know, have listened to the soundtrack, you will appreciate the movie. If you have not, go see the stage version and then you'll appreciate the movie. But um three stars for me, two from them. It's in theaters now. Uh, if any of this sounds interesting, go check it out. Don't listen to all the all the crap reviews. They just want to crap on the movie. It, it's not as bad as everyone says. I agree. I'm totally responding to that too. I think some of the criticisms are is just very easy. Just you know, shitting on it. Yeah, yeah. It 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 really is a, a truly fascinating story. Okay, moving on into our power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. This is kind of like my episode here. This is interesting because it, it maybe it's like you, you you guys all gave me like a gift after I hosted my own for a couple weeks ago. But we watched the movie I wanted to watch. I won power rankings, so I got to pick this. I'm hosting trivia later, so you're going to talk about movies I handpicked for you guys. I mean, this is this is like my episode. So uh, we are doing, in honor of Dear Evan Hansen coming out this weekend, we are looking at the greatest musical numbers of all time. But it had to be in a musical. So it, it, you couldn't just like say, oh, I'm going to pick, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I, don't even, I can't even think of one right now, but I'm going to pick some random Top, top Gun. Yeah. Top Gun, Top Gun. No one sings we're, we're, in Top. Oh, yeah, Great Balls of Fire. No, oh, the, you've the, lost that love and feeling. My, yeah, my there you go. Away. That's what I was going for. You lost that love and feeling in Top Gun. Yeah, because that that's a great musical number, but it's not in a musical. So it had to be in a musical, and it'll be interesting to see how we define musical as we go through this. Because uh, I mean, a lot of like is a biopic of, of like is Ray a musical? Is Walk the Line a musical? I mean, you could, it's, so what I did, I I said, I'm excluding animated movies because that'd be way too easy. And I'm excluding movies that aren't listed as musical on IMDb as one of their genres. I thought that was pretty fair. And it has to be one per decade, right? One per decade and yeah, one per movie, one per decade. Well, I mean, if you're doing one per decade, I, I hope you're only doing one per movie. (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> I picked the circle of life from the 1994 Lion King and from the 2017 Lion King <laughs> so, but what if like what if like boyhood was a musical could you choose multiple songs from it <laughs> <laughs> now that would be interesting okay well let's 
Let's do this. I think that question just blew my mind. Devote <laughs> <laughs> a whole episode to that question. Uh, what what song does she sing in the first scene? She's singing Britney Spears something. Which one is it? I don't even remember. Well, there's and, like a Coldplay song playing on the opening credits, right? Oh yeah, yeah yellow. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And then the black uh, and white Todd, album. Todd, you're gonna go first. Give give us your number five <laughs> musical number of all time. Okay, I went with a song from La La Land, uh, which is ah. obviously my 2010s pick. I went with Someone in the Crowd, which is the song where Mia's friends are sort of convincing her to move to L.A. to pursue her dreams. And I, I think you could choose a lot of songs from the movie, but the ones with Emma Stone, I feel like, are the most interesting ones. And it's kind of a quirky song, but it does expand into like a big song and dance kind of thing that like a classical musical would. And it's it's kind of a catchy song, and it it works better in the movie than I think City of Stars and other ones do. So yeah, someone in the crowd I went with for number five. I did not have a La La Land pick, but if I was going to go with one, I was going to go with the audition. Fools That's Who Dream. Are, are we Merloing like the movie or just the song? Um, I'd say just the song. If, yeah. the, if the song comes up, you Merlot. But wouldn't that also just as a byproduct just also merlot the movie i i don't know i feel like you can talk about one song from a movie and then talk about another song from the movie without having any overlap in the conversation okay is that fair even though i mentioned a song and that wasn't the song i was talking about <laughs> yeah or do do we want to merlot let's just merlot the movie why not okay okay um zach you're next well, now I really want to pick Boyhood or, or uh, you know, um, <laughs> Top Gun. But uh, I think I'm going to go with my pick from the 2020s. And uh, that pick comes Annette. from Annette. Annette. <laughs> and it is the song May We Start. Dude, I almost did it. I almost did it. <laughs> you got to come on. You know, let I mean, let's have the bold audacity of the genius of the star of Sparks. Open up the list. I'm going to keep up that same spirit on my list. Great way to open the movie, even though upon rewatching it, Adam Driver does not have a very good singing voice. It's almost as though Leos told Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard to not sing all that good. Um, also, I'm not sure if I was actually watching the opening of the movie or the music video. I feel like they're different things, but I couldn't remember which was which. Anyway, it's an awesome song. We talked about it a few weeks ago. It It's the best part of Annette. And uh, let's just say that, you know, all the critics out there are trashing on a 27-year-old playing a teenager, yet no one seemed to care that a wooden marionette was playing a two-year-old. So, you know, where's the... It's, it's hypocrisy. That's all I'm saying. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, I, listen, I listened to May We Start earlier today, and I really it really made me want to put it on the list. It's such a great song, and and that's like it is. It's a cool. It's such a cool number too, and how they how they run through the or just kind of walk the whole cast walks through the city like that. It, it is, and you know one of the best things about musicals is that you listen to some of the songs, and then you have better you you remember the movie more fondly than it actually is. So like, there's that song, and then there's the song that they sing to each other, "I love you so much" or whatever. Like that's a good song. Some of the Sparks songs are good. It's just their movies that suck. Respect. Respect. Now that should become a musical. That would be insane. Okay. Um, my number five. I, I like how we're getting the recent stuff out of the way because mine's also from the 2010s. Um, this was the hardest one to come up with. Like I had a solid top four, and like I was 
debating between two or three on my fifth one. And I went with probably the best song of the ones that I was trying to pick between. Uh, and that is uh, Jean Valjean's soliloquy in Les Miserables. Now, this the the 2012 adaptation had had some problems with it, and and it wasn't yes, perfect. But Les Mis is one of the greatest musicals of all time, and the music is incredible. And Hugh Jackman does a pretty good job as Jean Valjean. He he's a solid Jean Valjean, and I think his shining moment is his soliloquy. This is the beginning of the movie when he's just been been granted this new lease on life by the by the priest and he goes through and thinks about everything that's happened in his life and what path is he going to go down and talk about singing in the moment instead of singing to the recorded track i think this song plays that perfectly and shows why how great that could be and uh and yeah it's it's his best moment and then it ends with him tearing up his paper jean valjean is nothing now a new story must begin uh, it, it's a brilliant song. It's one of my favorite from the show, and it's my favorite moment of the movie, probably. So, uh, so number five, Valjean's soliloquy in uh, Les Mis. I think most people would have gone with the Anne Hathaway song. I know, I know. It's like the obvious pick. It, it and 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 she's awesome. But I've always, I mean, I'm a tenor. I've always loved Valjean's music and his parts and and most of the time Hugh Jackman's voice bothers me because his vibrato is like a step and a half wide but uh, it, it works in that song okay Todd number four my number four comes from the 1970s it's from all that jazz and it's kind of more than one song it's a hospital hallucination uh, sequence but I, I always found the movie kind of overrated, honestly. But like sequences like this are always sort of like ingrained in my head. It's like a psychedelic kind of freaky cabaret-ish thing that he's doing. And the songs are just kind of relentless. And it definitely show the high points in the movie. I, I'm, I'm not the biggest Bob Fosse fan overall. But I, I think s- scenes like that are as good as he can do. I just don't like the movie very much. But it's a really cool sequence. Never seen it. Okay. Zach? Uh, yeah, we've talked about this movie. It's trash. It's, <laughs> I think it's one of the most overrated movies ever. All right. And, and there are other podcasts out there that think it's a great 70s movie, and they're obviously wrong about so many things, including their thoughts on Sideways. But all that jazz is just oh, yes. not that great. Bob Fosse's best movie is definitely Star 80, right? Oh, for sure. Unquestionably. <laughs> Star And Star 80 would have low-key made a great musical. Someone out there... It probably would have. It, yeah, exactly. Would have been a really screwed-up musical, but... But it would have been really Parasite, good. Like Terry was saying. <laughs> Get Eric Roberts, you know? Give the man... Let the man do his act. <laughs> yeah, so yeah he's, he's like 40 years too old for now. Like, job? literally 40 years too old. But if we let him play the role again. No, it's like what we said about Judd Hirsch in uh, A Beautiful Mind recasting. He could still play the role yeah. today. <laughs> he probably it could. would still work. Is Marilyn Hemingway I... still alive? I don't think I've heard anything about it. That's a great her. question. She's still kicking it out there. I don't think oh. I've seen a single Bob Fosse movie. You've not, never seen not Cabaret? Cabaret? I've never seen Cabaret. I have wow. it sitting on my DVR downstairs. I just have You'll get to it, it maybe next year? No, it'll be no, like I won't. It'll be it'll... seven years from now. Yeah. 
that, 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 that that's a guarantee of when i'll get to it but yeah i do have it i, I recorded it off tcm at one point so i just need to watch it all right zach number four all right my next pick is also from the 70s although I'm, i can't decide which one so i'm gonna let you guys decide for me okay i'm gonna okay. go with either uh sweet transvestite from rocky horror picture show or i'm tired lily von stupp in blazing saddles which one that's not oh, a musical so- is it of course it is are you kidding me there's just lots of music in it, right? Sweet transvestite. You okay, gotta go. With that's that. probably more of a musical, anyway. All right, that's fine. Anyway, tr- sweet transvestite. Uh, let, me, let me get my my pre-recorded notes that I had on it because I have so many. Um, if, great. If great I would have gone Rocky Horror, I would have gone uh, with Damn It, Janet. But uh, okay, that doesn't even crack my top ten from that movie. But okay, um, <laughs> I think it's actually probably the worst song in that movie. Uh, <laughs> now the thing is about sweet transvestite is you know friend of the podcast chad francis um you know d- dated my sister-in-law for, for a minute. um he uh had the greatest karaoke rendition of sweet transvestite were you there when when we mm-hmm. i saw it terry okay mm-hmm. i don't know who i was with the man i mean listen you know tim roth was amazing or tim curry excuse me was amazing in it Tim Roth would also Tim Roth would have been awesome. That's well, I I would sign up for that. But Tim Curry is amazing in it. But Chad Francis, he I mean, listen, he had the moves down, he had the 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 uh the anguish and he had the uh persona. It was amazing. Anyway, that's um probably my favorite uh song from uh Rocky Horror Picture Show, although I do love the opening song with the with the lips that move, but uh Sweet Transvestite just does it for me every time. Late night double picture or double, oh yeah double feature yeah 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 Michael Rennie was ill the the, the day the earth stood still absolutely yeah. I might have gone with time warp that, that that's a good one too that, one. yeah that's probably the that's probably that's the one that most people remember and it's maybe even a little catchier but again just Tim Curry his first appearance in the movie coming down from that elevator is mm-hmm. just uh, iconic Did, didn't want to go with meatloaf did not want to go with meatloaf no no okay. Chad Francis also sounds like a forgettable 1990s, like Kansas City Royals pitcher or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 I can yeah, see that. I can see that. The 70s was kind of a stupid era for musicals. I don't know. Do you have a it, pick from the 70s, Terry? I do not. I okay. do not. I actually, 70s, I went through and wrote down some like possible choices from every decade. And the 70s, I wrote nothing down. I wrote two honorable mentions from the 70s. One of them was Time Warp. And I'm not including, we're not saying that Nashville is a musical. Again, some podcasts out there call it a musical, but they're obviously ill informed. Or ill informed. My number four is my pick from the 2000s, which was the toughest call. I figured, I, I found out because the 2000s was just full of great musicals and great musical numbers. Uh, but the one I decided to go with was from 2001. It is the song Come What May from Moulin Rouge. Um, I I love Moulin Rouge. And and it was it was it was a hard call between Come What May and Roxanne uh, from from there. But I went with the one uh, the one original song from that from that show, from that musical uh, and it, it's just brilliant, and it's it's that connection between between Christian and Satine, uh, Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor. I I don't know if Ewan McGregor has ever been better than he was in Moulin Rouge, um, and uh, it it's it's an amazing song, and it it's one that pops up several times. But the climax of the whole thing, when they sing it on stage, is is just great. So 
Moulin Rouge, come what may. That's my number four. Yeah, I don't have Moulin Rouge on my list, but uh, it is interesting. I love Moulin Rouge as well. I think the song I was good. If I was going to go with a song for Moulin Rouge, I would choose the uh, Can Can because that's a, <laughs> even though it's not necessarily the greatest <laughs> song, it it most re- represents the mood and the you know the just the the frenzy of that movie. And mm-hmm. seeing that movie in a theater in two thousand one was quite unlike any movie I'd ever seen before. It still holds up pretty well. It's just oh, I so, wish I just, saw it in theaters. It's just crazy. It's unlike anything that, you know. And you could watch some of Baz Luhrmann's earlier movies and you can see the style a little bit. But like that song really is just it's crazy because it mixes the Can Can, Lady Marmalade, and Smells Like Teen Spirit. It uh-huh. actually sounds good. I, I don't know how that happens. And you get Jim Broadbent singing it. So. With Jim Broadbent singing it. <laughs> yeah, I actually had marked down Smells Like Teen Spirit as an honorable mention, out of respect, because it is the best song, obviously, probably ever made. <laughs> so. uh. And I agree with Terry. I have six honorable mentions from the 2000s. So, yeah, that was the toughest decade to narrow down. I, I wrote down one, two, three, four, five, six. I wrote down seven different numbers I could have picked from the 2000s. Well, so. then we are, have the exact same amount. <laughs> yep, we do. All right, Todd, number three. My number three comes from my favorite musical of all time, Singing in the Rain. And uh, I chose, well, Terry's mentioned a bunch, Make Him Laugh. Yeah, Merlot. My... Okay. <laughs> well, you're going to, like, why don't you say that when I said this movie? Because I was going to make sure you said the same Why song, are we doing too? the Mer- Merlot? I think you should, I should just say it. Just talk about it, man. You can talk about it. Okay. But well, I'll talk about it later, too. <laughs> I think it is like this infectious joyful number that shows off the physicality it takes to be in a gene kelly movie and it's just the the scene is full of ideas and insane choreography and donald o'connor is amazing he should have been nominated for an oscar like that i don't i don't know anybody else that could ever do what he does and it's all like obviously practical stunts it's insane and but the song is really cool and it's chaotic and i i just kind of love it and yeah like i said it's the best move the best movie musical ever it was in my top 100 so there's my 50s submission. Yeah, and apparently it makes Terry's children laugh. Uh, I I have I have seen my son lie on the floor and spin in circles with his legs kicking to try and emulate <laughs> Donald O'Connor. Just make sure he doesn't try to run up a wall into a flip. <laughs> yeah, he would never try to do that. <laughs> He might. He he might think about it until he would actually realize <laughs> what he would need to do to do it. Then he wouldn't. All right. Zach, number three. All right. My number three pick comes from the 1960s. It comes from a movie that Damien Chazelle loves and we love too. It is mm-hmm. The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. And it is the song. Well, the English translation is I Will Wait For You. It's actually two separate like i mean it's that song is a motif throughout the whole movie but you know there's one sequence where it's like they're in like a restaurant and then i think like 10 minutes later they kind of reprise the song again and uh that's the one i like a little better and that's where uh he's at the train station leaving to go fight in the algerian war or whatever and it's that amazing tracking shot that just kind of follows them down the train and he gets on the train and then the train leaves and Catherine Deneuve is just kind of standing there. I think it's, it's one of the five greatest single takes in the history of cinema. It's an amazing shot, amazing song. And, uh, you know, Damien Chazelle loves it. It's even uh, uh, heard in the best of youth. And uh, it's uh, it's obviously a great moment from a great movie. It is a great movie. However, I will say, I mean, you mentioned earlier having an, unforgettable set of songs 
Umbrellas of Cherbourg has an unforgettable set of songs because nothing sounds like anything else throughout the entire movie. There's no themes. There's no nothing. Yes, and like Annette, I mean, Annette is the closest relative to the Umbrellas of Cherbourg because it's the spoken lines are all sung, some yeah. of which are, are, are more effective than others, but the main melody is just uh, unforgettable and everybody loves it. All right, my number three, I'm going back to the 30s. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, if I was going to have a Wizard of Oz song, it was which Wizard of Oz song I was going to have on my list. And I, I mean, it's so, it's just so easy to go with Somewhere Over the Rainbow. So I decided not to. I went with If I Only Had a Brain, uh, which you could kind of say is the make them laugh of the Wizard of Oz because you get to see Ray Bolger do what he does best. And it's kind of, at, about as ridiculous as what Donald O'Connor does. Like if you want a good time, go on a YouTube deep dive of just looking up Ray Bolger clips because that dude was insane. And here he is as the scarecrow and he's, he's doing his thing while singing the song and the song is super clever, but it's really his performance of the song that makes it amazing. And so uh, it's number three on my list. If I only had a brain wizard of Oz. Yeah, the Wizard of Oz movie or uh, song that I put as an honorable mention was If I Were the King of the Forest, just because oh, I wanted Barry to yeah. do his Rocket Man impression. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there you go. I like the Emerald City song because they got the green horses. You can't beat that. I, I twice I've directed stage productions of the Wizard of Oz and once I've been in one. So I know the music way too well. <laughs> uh, yeah. And yeah, the Wizard of Oz one's good too. Or the, the Emerald City one. All right. Todd, number two. My number two comes from the 2000s. And it's a movie, again, that I wasn't really crazy about. But I remember like humming the song a lot afterwards. And like the movie's kind of a drag and overproduced. But be Italian in nine, I think is a great song. Oh. And uh, like, I think it's easily the best part of the movie. Fergie somehow completely outshines the cast of like full of Oscar nominees. Like it's a, just like this raw kind of sexy rangy song that was like a, as close to Chicago as the movie gets. And if it got there a little bit more, the movie would have been probably better. But that song, I, I remember being stuck in my head for quite a while after watching it. And I only give the movie like two stars, but I, I did really like that number. That's that's like the only number I can remember from that movie. Well, then there you go. Because <laughs> it was the yeah. best one. And it's Fergie. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you said that all it's... Be That's Yeah, you can hear it. You can hear it. Yeah. All right. Zach, number two. All right. I'm also going from the 2000s. And uh, I'm not going to go with once because we've talked about that ad nauseum, um, even if it is my real choice. I, I, I did the exact same thing. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think it's a musical. It, it's not listed it, as a musical. It, it's a that's, that's one. Ridiculous, so I, was but okay. my, I was talking with my wife about this and she said it would not be a musical. It would be a movie about music. Yeah. So what I OK, a musical to me is a movie that has the songs taking place of the dialogue and it never does that. There are performances, but there's never times when people sing instead of talk in ones. 
it's that's, borderline. That's I would not ridiculous. have been. I would have. I would not. How have is that ridiculous? That. That's a perfectly clean definition of a musical. <laughs> well, but I, I, I would think not once have been upset if you went with once. I would have called it a musical, but I I didn't pick it because we always talk about it. That's like saying Baby Driver is a musical. Nobody sings in Baby Driver. No, but the whole thing is set to music, kind of, or like a lot of scenes are. That's the same kind of thing. I don't know. But when the characters sing it, it's different. Anyways, continue, Zach. All right, I'm going to go with... Uh, Almost Famous isn't a musical. Yeah, right. I'm going to go with... Uh, same thing. Yes. You can't go with Elton John from Almost Famous. I don't know. I have like three movies I really want to go. You're right. The 2000s was really hard. Let's just go... I'll just go... Um, you know you're going Dancer in the Dark. Just well, do it. Fine. I'll go Dancer in the Dark. I'll go uh, Next to the Last Song, sung by Bjork. I mean, it's the it's the last scene in the movie, and uh, you know, as spoilers, but you know, she's like about to get hanged, and she's she's you know in the the gallows or whatever, and she's walking there, and she's saying, you know, this is not the last song. Uh, they don't know us. You see, it will only be the last song if we let it be. And then you know, the 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 the, the platform opens up, and then she falls down, and then it kind of actually goes into the song of the end credits. <laughs> A New World, which is, I think, the best song in the movie. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a total Zach pick. I was going to go with Chicago, but, you know, Todd made me rethink. So, Ooh, What were you going to go from Chicago? I was going to go All That Jazz. I mean, uh-huh. it's, it, it's a great way to open the movie. I guess that's maybe the obvious pick. Or or uh, When You're Good to Mama. Um, but I, I actually love Chicago, and I did have a little rant prepared about Chicago, about how I think it's actually an underrated mu- movie that has aged pretty well even though it probably wasn't good enough to win Best Picture that year. But uh, that's got a lot of good songs in it, too. I, if I had done Chicago, I would have gone with Cell Block Tango. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Yeah. All right, my number two. I'm going back to the 60s uh, to a movie that may be coming out with a new version of it in the next couple months. Uh, I'm going West Side Story. And... Uh, my favorite from that. So this week I actually went back. I wrote an article 10 years ago about West side story when it was celebrating its 50th year. Now it's celebrating 60 years. And I, I wrote about what the best song in the, in the musical was. And I said somewhere, and I'm sticking to that because I think that song is it like, it's just this power ballad that is able to show off how incredible these, these uh, performers are that are playing uh, Tony and Maria and uh, and the 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 words to it are just amazing and then when they get to the get to the the chorus and somehow somewhere we'll find a new way of living we'll find a way of forgiving it, it it's just a beautiful song and it, it's really like the encapsulation of that whole show so somewhere West Side Story honestly don't remember the movie very much yeah, I remember the song. I don't really remember the the actual musical number in it, though. It's just like the two of them on the rooftop singing. Isn't that like every my... musical number in that? Pretty much. Pretty much. But it's like the one they do together. As opposed to like tonight. Well, they don't or... do that one. To... That yes, one's they... like. Yes, they do. It's Not like, it's like a duet. Well, that, that that's like on the the balcony and the, the yeah it's on the balcony yeah this is this is like when they're actually like together together i don't know it's a great song 
That's my number two. Todd, number one. I, is it better than the, your Roy Bolger deep dive, though? I don't know. Uh, well, if it, I'm intrigued if by I, that, I want to know. I'm, I've never looked up Roy Bolger if on, it, on YouTube. If it was, if it was a Ray, if the Ray Bolger deep dive was eligible, I would have gone with Ray Bolger deep dive. But uh, if I only had a brain, goes number three. Yeah, he he has some crazy, like he just some of his stage performances, and then he had a number he did. Oh, it was in another Judy Garland movie where he's like in a saloon as a cowboy or something. That's just ridiculous. But yeah, look up Ray Bolger. He's got some great stuff. All right, Todd, number one. My number one comes from the 1940s. 1942, it is from Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yeah, it is. And it's uh, over there. But over I think there. The, yeah, the movie is kind of a masterpiece. It's filled with like these <clears throat> crazy like patriotic songs. But this move, this song is like the backbone of the movie. I mean, despite the title being Yankee Doodle Dandy, like this is the song that's most important. It's like George Cohen trying to like galvanize the men into like joining the military, and it shows like how he got the tune for it from like something that he just like randomly heard, and it's like this big rousing song, and it's revisited in like the closing scenes, which is really cool as well. But the initial sequence, and they're just like you know the Yanks are coming. It's, I mean, it's amazing. Like it's one of the best musicals ever. And like, that's the most lasting song in that musical in my mind. And I, you know, it, I didn't, I couldn't think of another one that should have topped that Yankee doodle dandy over there. Wow. That's commitment. I, well, I mean, I mean, we knew dancer in the dark was going to pop up on Zach's list. I'm surprised it wasn't number one. And we knew that, uh, that Yankee doodle dandy was going to pop up on yours. So, Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah, no, I, 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 I of Oz is going to be on your list, of course. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. All right, Zach, number one. All right, well, Todd's definition, the reason I objected to Todd's definition of a musical is that he, that means that technically my number one is not a musical, according to Todd, but I'm Let's calling it. it a musical. It is my pick from the 1980s. I think it's the greatest musical of all time. It is This Is Spinal Tap. And so many great numbers you could choose from in that movie. But I think my favorite one that I'm going to have to go with, the number that really sort of um, catapults uh, uh, tap into America, as uh, yeah, their producer says, is uh, Stonehenge. In ancient times, hundreds of years before the dawn of history, the strange race of people, the Druids, and, uh, you know, just seeing that uh, Stonehenge come out, that's, you know, 18 inches by 24 inches, thanks to Angelica Houston. Um, it's just uh, incredibly memorable to watch. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's fantastic. And, um, you know, I just wish I had been there to watch it live. And uh, again, a lot of great numbers you could choose from in that movie. Sex Farm is another one that comes to mind or Rock and Roll Creation. Um, but, uh, Stonehenge is the one that's the most, uh, you know, to, to, to me, it's like even more memorable than this goes to 11 and, and Todd's going to trash that pick, but you know, it, it's I mean, better it's than over there. No, it's from, not. Well, from... I mean, well, it's not a musical though. That's like, a, that's like almost famous. It's not a musical. Like, I don't care what the, the golden globes say. It's, it's not a musical. <laughs> I'm it's okay with that. It's a music movie. I'm okay with that pick. Okay, but isn't it better than Dance in the Dark being my number one? I mean, if we're just living up to expectations, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I just it's it's it, it it makes me laugh every time I see it. You know, it's like the, the singing in the rain song it makes me laugh. It's it's uh yeah, it, but it's then perfect. You, say you could put School of Rock in there if, if you're choosing. <laughs> yeah, we I think that. School of Rock qualifies as well, but uh Not a I, I guess we're just gonna we'll have to agree to disagree. See, I saw those as a gray area. I would probably call them musicals, but since they were a gray area, I just stayed away. I think it's more because I just kind of dislike musicals as a genre. So any movie that I like that I could pass as a musical, I'm just going to go with. All right. Well, on to my number one. And my number one, it, it, I mean, we've kind of already said, it's Make Them Laugh from Singing in the Rain. Uh, it, it's, it is like, it had to be number one. It's like, the it is the greatest musical number of all time. Uh, and what I love about that is like Gene Kelly is the man and Gene Kelly is amazing and he's awesome in everything he does, but Gene Kelly is willing to give the scene stealing number, the best number in the show to Donald O'Connor and let him take over. And I think what, one of the things that makes singing in the rain so great is it is like the one time Gene Kelly has someone who is an equal, if not maybe better than him as his co-star. And Donald O'Connor is able to keep up with him every step of the way, which is one of the things that makes Singing in the Rain so great, because they're able to do stuff in that that Gene Kelly isn't able to do in almost any other movie. Because Frank Sinatra can't dance like that. I mean, the, the other guys he, he has as co-stars can't dance like Donald O'Connor. And then you add in just everything he does in that number it is iconic it's the best it's number one like it might be like on my top five scenes of all time is make them laugh so our top picks are from 1942 from 1951 and 1984 <laughs> yeah all from which before we were born yep yep all right I mean, todd Oh, go ahead. It's just kind of reflective of the musical genre as a whole. But anyway, go yeah. When we can only choose one from the 2000s, obviously that was an issue. Well, and that that was part of it too. I mean, well, and and you. I'm surprised uh, uh, South Park wasn't on your list, Terry. I was expecting Blame Canada eh. to show up there or something. I or quite I, think... I I I said I disqualified animated movies. I think it. I I think it was safe. I didn't necessarily disqualify animated. I think I disqualified Disney. I'm also surprised that Band of Brothers and Prison Break haven't been mentioned yet. Oh yes, because they're chock full of musical numbers. Um. No, I think I think part of why that our our top ones were what they were is just because that's what like Hollywood mastered in in that era was musicals. And we look back on the classics as classics like that. And the modern ones, you don't, I mean, is there a modern musical? You just say that's a classic. I mean, how many more likely than not the modern ones, you'll say, oh, that hasn't aged well more, more times than not, I feel. But I mean, that's what they did is they made musicals back then and they don't make them like they used to for better or for worse. But there's a nostalgia to the old ones. Todd, what are your honorable mentions? We're not going to run them down. Oh, let's run them down and then we'll do honorable mentions. Okay, run them down five to one. 
Number five, someone in the crowd from La La Land. Number four, the hospital hallucination sequence in All That Jazz. Uh, number three, make him laugh from Singing in the Rain. Number two, be Italian from Nine. And number one is over there in Yankee Doodle Dandy. It's ridiculous that be Italian is above make him laugh. I mean, I, I respect it being on your list, but the fact that it's above make him laugh is insane. I mean, I saw, right. that was the only one of these that I saw in the theater. Well, I guess I saw a lot of land, but yeah. I honestly exactly. like I only know one of those songs that Todd mentioned. That's crazy. <laughs> um, I had May We Start from Annette, number five, number four, Sweet Transvestite from Rocky Horror Picture Show, number three, the main theme song, whatever you want to call it, from The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, number two, the next to the last song from Dancer in the Dark, and number one, With a Bullet, Stonehenge from This Is Spinal Tap, a great musical, the best musical of the 80s. All right, in my list, number five, uh, Valjean's Soliloquy in Les Mis. Number four, Come What May from Moulin Rouge. Number three, If I Only Had a Brain from Wizard of Oz. Number two, Somewhere from West Side Story. Number one, Make Him Laugh, Sing Him in, sing him in the Rain. Todd, honorable mentions. Uh, my honorable mentions are <coughs> from, from 1936, uh, the title song in San Francisco, which is a great movie, but the song is not the song that uh, Sean Connery sings in the shower in The Rock, <laughs> which you may think it is. We'll go into Sean Francisco. Sean Francisco. Jade. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's not that song, <laughs> but it's a good song. Then um, I had uh, I were, If I Were the King of the Forest. I had from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Pure Imagination, which is the best song in the, in mm, the show. Yeah. And I also had Time Warp, as I said earlier. Uh, from Dancer in the Dark, I had, I've seen it all. I said I had Smells Like Teen Spirit, obviously, because, you know, Nirvana. Uh, from Chicago, I had Funny Honey. Uh, boy, uh, beyond, from Beyond the Sea, I had, obviously, the title song. It's, I mean, it's an okay movie. It's, like, really good music. And from Rent, I have Will I, because Adam Pascal is insane. And uh, from Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench, which is Damien Chazelle's first movie. And nothing in particular. I just want to mention it because it's a really good musical. All right. All right. Zach. Yeah, I've already mentioned most of mine, but I would just add I'm Tired by Lily Von Stupp and Blazing Saddles is a is a great song that I really um, enjoy. I also like uh, uh, we didn't mention A Star is Born, uh, which I guess wouldn't qualify according to Todd. But I think there's several songs that you could choose from that, um, mm -hmm. including Shallow and then uh, I'll Never Love Again at the end of the movie uh, sung by Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. All right. And for me, so the one I really wanted to, I was debating with to, for that number five spot was uh, from the 90s, the uh, the waltz with Ava and Che from Evita, it, which is the song where, where Antonio Banderas and Madonna are are dancing together. And so one time they actually interact and it, it's just a really cool number and really cool song. Uh, then let's see here uh, from Rent. I had La Viva Wem. That that's probably the one i'd go with there uh dream girls and i'm telling you but also listen is an amazing song from that uh let's see here what else did i have um oh red blues from silk stockings it is a is a great number it's more of a dance number than a singing number but citrus is insane in that in that one and uh i i really wanted to but i couldn't find room on my list for man or muppet from the muppet movie 
but I, I kind of wanted to. Not a musical, according to Todd. Oh, no, that one would be. Oh, is it? That okay. one totally would be. I've yeah, never I'm seen sure it. it is. Everything is great. Everything is grand. Anyways, it's a great movie. All right. It is now time to try and guess Adam's list to see who gets the point and who is going to be uh, picking our next power rankings. Todd, what do you got? Okay. So I don't know what Adam did for this. I have no idea what he thinks of musicals. So um, number five, I have Circle of Life from The Lion King. Number four, I have The Sound of Music, the title song. Uh, number three, I have Falling Slowly from Once. Number two, Time Warp from Rocky Horror Picture Show. And number one, Over the Rainbow from The Wizard of Oz. All right, Zach. I went uh, number five, City of Stars from La La Land. Number four, Make Him Laugh. Number three, Falling Slowly. Number two, The Sound of Music from The Sound of Music. And number one, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And I've got number Not five. Not exactly original. Number five, Let It Go from Frozen. Uh, number four, and I'm telling you from Dreamgirls. Number three, Blame Canada from South Park. Uh, number two, Do Re Mi from The Sound of Music. And number one, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, Wizard of Oz. Okay, let's see here. I was going to predict uh, Super Califragile. I just didn't want to have to spell it. So I didn't run it down <laughs> on my <machine>. screen. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, honorable mentions from Adam. Uh, let's go fly a kite from Mary Poppins. Uh, you you can't stop the beat from Hairspray. One day more from Les Mis. Okay, that's pretty good. Pure Imagination, Willy Wonka. Uh, you're the one that I want from Greece. Incredible wow. thoughts from Pop Star. Never stop, never stopping. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, and rewrite the stars from uh, from the Greatest Showman. Okay, here we go. Uh, and he actually he actually followed the rule. No, oh, that's rule? really funny. Okay, he followed the rules. He's got one per decade. However, he has two number threes. So, <laughs> like, oh, he, he just a, did he have a tie or just no? He just for, he just forgot how to count. <laughs> so it's his he's got six. a number five, number four, number three, number three, okay. number two, number one. So, uh, so we get some extra help on this one. All right, number five is Beauty and the Beast from Beauty and the Beast. That's his 90s pick. Uh, number four is his 2010s pick, Audition from La La Land. Uh, num his first number three is his 2000s pick, Falling Slowly from Once. I had that uh, as number three. That's good. His other too. number three is his 70s pick, Time Warp slash Sweet Transvestite from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Those are different so, songs. Yeah, he had a tie for his second number yeah, three. A tie within a tie. It's like a Christopher <laughs> Nolan list or something. That is unbelievable. Number two, Do Re Mi, Sound of Music. God damn it. Well, you didn't predict that, though, did you? Yeah, I picked. I, pre oh. I predicted Do Re Mi was going to be number two. And number one, Summer of the Rainbow Wizard of Oz. Okay, I got four. You got so four? I, well, I got three, and then uh, I got I had Sound of the Music being mentioned. So you got like three and a half? Because yeah. you, said, you said Over the Rainbow, you said Falling Slowly. Yeah. And Time Warp. And time warp, and then you said sound of music. But Terry got the sound of music. I got his song. top two, and and with the handicap. But I think I think. But Todd I mean, he only got it. two. <laughs> he got. I got three and a half. I like if if it was that. Yeah, if it had been any closer, I would have taken it. But it wasn't, so I didn't. Yeah, if you had three 
and I had three and a half, I would have given it to you because you had the top two. I had the La La Land song, though. I, I mean, I didn't have, I had the movie La La Land. Man. Even Don't rate me. That was, a good, wins. that was a good poll. I, I don't care if I lose. I'm I'm happy I got Do-Re-Mi. What, should I give you a half point? No, no they don't. <laughs> I, I don't deserve that, but... <laughs> okay, so what's the score? Uh, I have 35 and a half. Zach has 22 and Terry has 18. Well, that just ended my comeback, but oh well. All right. Let's get into our trivia segment. That's like the Orioles saying, I won a couple of games in the playoffs. All right. Trivia time. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. You guys, I, I won trivia too, so I got to pick some stuff for you guys to watch. Um, I really, I, we're going to Zach first because I want to hear, I want to hear what he thought. So Zach, what'd you have to watch and what'd you think? So I had to watch from 2016 Terry's um, number four movie of the year, number 98 of all time, and a movie that Todd gave one star to, uh, Deadpool. <laughs> so Deadpool. Deadpool is a Marvel movie um, that is described by IMDb as a wisecracking mercenary gets experimented on and becomes immortal but ugly and sets out to track down the man who ruined his looks. And I got to tell you, um, that is a pretty good synopsis because I didn't understand what was happening in this movie a lot of the time. Uh, the, the plot is completely nonsensical. Um, it's really just an excuse for Ryan Reynolds to um, break the fourth wall and... Uh, give pop culture references, and at one point even adjust the camera uh, and have the people's sexiest uh, man alive uh, magazine cover of him on it. Uh, the movie is uh, so self-reflexive and so meta that it could only take place uh, in you know this uh, fragmented reality of the 2010s. Um, and I got to say, I agree with Todd in this one. I found oh. it horrible. Uh, it just absolutely like ridiculously unfunny, um, annoying, obnoxious. I, you know, it thinks it's so clever in its writing. It, you can tell that the writers in the writer's room were giving each other high fives and, uh, it's just not funny remotely. Like Deadpool is a really unappealing character. You know, he makes, he makes all these wise cracks. He's immortal, right? So there's no danger with him ever actually dying, um, there's no backstory to how he acquires the skills that he has just because he's immortal doesn't necessarily make him a great fighter, but every single bullet he fires, um, you know, he's like freaking, you know, uh, like, uh, like Beatrix kiddo. He's like Annie Oakley and he's got his gun right up next up to everybody or something like his skills are, you know, unparalleled. Right <laughs> unparalleled to any other Marvel character. I do have to say I fell asleep during long stretches of this movie. I thought it was painfully boring. Um, I hated, uh, I, I hate movies that break the fourth wall. I hate Marvel movies. I hate movies that think they're funny and they're not. I hate violent movies. I hate mo that, that are gratuitous. Uh, this movie, ha you know, it's like 
basically this movie was was made for 14 year old boys and it is r-rated so that 15 year old 14 and 15 year old boys can be attracted to it and rent it and feel so smart it's like it's like an episode of family guy it's just it's trash it's absolute garbage and i am appalled that terry puts it in his top 100 i have no idea what he sees in it if it was a musical maybe i'd understand um but there is nothing remotely appealing about this movie and i agree with todd 100 one star total waste of time and just uh, it, it's it, it's 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 why Martin Scorsese wrote the article that he wrote that Marvel isn't movies. It's not cinema. It's something. It's some weird, bizarre, perverse, um, you know, perversion of movies that is unfunny and unappealing. Well, I can't say I'm shocked, but I thought you'd like it a little bit more. But I, you you did spell it's out. Awful. I mean, I everything everything that you hate about movies is kind of embodies so. Yeah, uh, there there is that and I, to it, and this happens too sometimes when Todd assigns me movies. I'm I'm insulted that you even assigned it to me. Like, did you think <laughs> I would like it? I thought it was I thought it was worth seeing if you could if you could at least break the tie or find the middle ground. But you you broke the tie. But, well, I mean, uh, you can't say you hate movies that break the fourth wall because you like Annie Hall. So it wasn't on my top 100. It has not aged well. But you know, like this movie. <laughs> There's nothing the movie. <laughs> like the plot in this movie is so lame, so lazy. Like, oh, he gets, you know, cryogenically frozen, which is how come he gets his face gets distorted. And I, you know, oh, okay. and then they, and then they kidnap his girlfriend. Like uh, how, how many times like that's the laziest, uh, most basic writing that you could possibly have to a Marvel movie, which is that they abduct his girlfriend and he has to save her. Right. That's so ridiculous. And the, and the villains are so ill-defined in this movie. What they want to they want to use him to conjure his ability to fight to to be like uh immune from from you know bullets or whatever like it's so ill-defined because all these writers had was just one-liners that they wanted to give and pop culture references that are really unfunny so it's just it's it's got to be the worst marvel movie which is saying something well but it's not even like an mcu movie it's in the x-men universe and, yeah, and they didn't and get to use not, real X-Men characters. Like, it's definitely not worse than Dark totally Phoenix. But... Oh, I think Dark Phoenix was better than this movie. Oh. Not by much, but at least at least it didn't think it was clever. It knew it was stupid to some degree. Deadpool is the role Ryan Reynolds was born to play. I just I don't like that. Ryan Reynolds necessarily. <laughs> and that's probably part of it why I don't oh. like the movie. But like and, uh, yeah, then you wouldn't like the movie. I also don't like that it's just slapstick garbage. Like, I mean, it could have been a silent movie and like how dumb it is, like. He's basically like j- jumping around on one leg kind of thing like they do in like Monty Python and shit. I'm just, I, I don't think that's funny. I don't think that's <laughs> worthy of a big superhero movie, but whatever. I think the way that the critics trashed Dear Evan Hansen was similar to how the critics basically just gave a one big circle jerk to this movie. The idea that, oh, you know, we can have some F-bombs and make it R-rated and it can still be a Marvel movie and make pop culture references. It's just, it's so lazy and so derivative. And I have no idea why it cast a spell on critics and apparently Terry back when it did. It holds up. 98, number 98 of all time. Only 97 movies have been made that were better than Deadpool, according to Terry. And, you know, like, um, what what wasn't on your top 100? Was Kramer versus Kramer in your top 100? Was that not, no. not one of them? <laughs> well, Zach, but you also had, like, a beautiful mind and... <laughs> Or and no, you had like what Castaway, and you didn't have uh, the. We're Godfather. not talking about that. That was a terrible. Pick. <laughs> I fully yeah. admit that, but you know, it's still uh, better than this. 
All right. Well, let's move on. Todd, hopefully you liked your movie a little more. What did you watch? Well, you chose a Todd movie for me to watch. Yeah, and <laughs> so, it's and it's I I yeah okay. Let's hear about it. Uh, so from 1981, I watched the Lawrence Kasdan movie Body Heat, and uh, this is a movie that's set in Florida during like a big heat wave, and William Hurt plays like this awful lawyer. And Can he I just starts... say, I, thinking about you talking about this, I kept on forgetting it was William Hurt and not Jeff Bridges. <laughs> it could have easily been a Jeff Bridges movie. Um, well, he has an affair with uh, Kathleen Turner in her movie debut, and uh, their affair is like super steamy, and ultimately they plot to kill her husband. But things are kind of more sinister. You sort of learn what's going on and the motivations of all the characters are supporting parts by Ted Danson, Richard Crenna, and uh, my boy Mickey Rourke. Um, it's got this like effortless noir kind of thing and like how it it's really smoky and laid back and mysterious. It's sort of naughty too. It, it, I mean, I don't like it kind of leaves the convention of the genre where they are, but it makes it modern. It's sort of like a perfect murder that came to mind. I think that's underrated, but it's almost like a more successful version of adapting Dial M for Murder. And I, I think it's crazy that William Hurt at the time was like the best actor in the world, but he kind of just like lost it in the 90s. Like nobody like really heard from him. I don't really know what he was doing, but like he's like sly and charming and cool in this. It kind of reminded me of like a Nicolas Cage type role, uh, like maybe late 90s or so. Kathleen Turner is awesome. She's doing like a Sybil Shepherd kind of channeling thing. Mickey Rourke is amazing as the weapons dealer. And the, 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 the plot twists are pretty weird. I don't really know what was going on. I had to keep playing it back through my head to try to figure out exactly what happened. But, um, I mean, it sort of takes after double indemnity, so I guess it kind of makes sense. It's a fantastic movie. No, nothing like anything Lawrence Kasdan should be expected to do. Uh, and I'm giving it three and a half stars, and it's my number four of 1981 now. So, nice. thank you, Darren. I knew you'd like that one. Like, when I watched that, I'm like, the, Todd's going to like this movie. Yeah, I've got it three and a half stars. It's my number two of 81. How, how have you seen it, Terry? Uh, it was on TCM like a couple months ago. Like they, they were doing this like neo-noir uh, feature thing. Uh, it's it's on actually... HBO Max now. Oh, nice. And you actually had had uh, uh, Mankiewicz and Eddie Muller, the noir guy in the studio together, which is really funny because if you follow them on Twitter, uh, Ben Mankiewicz like trashes Eddie Muller all the time on they like have this fun rivalry. It's pretty cool. Well, I'm glad you liked it, Zach. Maybe you should watch Body Heat just to get yeah. Does that mean that Deadpool Todd already gets like extra points in trivia just because you know he liked, liked the movie. movie better than I liked yours? Uh, okay. Well, let's get given. to trivia. And for this trivia, um, so we are recording this on September 25th and I don't know if you guys saw, but today was like a banner day for birthdays for, for actors. So here's a list of some of the people whose birthdays it was today. Will Smith, Mark Hamill, Donald Glover, Pedro Almodovar, Michael Madsen, Heather Locklear, Christopher Reeve, and of course, Gabe from the office and Minkus from Boy Meets World, um, all had who's, birthdays who's Gabe from the office. Uh, Zach Woods, isn't that his name? Oh, okay. The guy from Silicon Valley. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, we're we're gonna feature two that I did not mention and do a filmography trivia. I'm kind of stealing Todd's Todd's bit here, but I think it it it's gonna hold up because 
two others on this list are are really interesting and are connected in some ways. So we're going to start uh, with Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas turned 77 today. And so we are doing the films of Michael Douglas. There are 48 of them. And we're going to see how long you guys can go. And uh, since Todd liked the movie I assigned him, he gets to go first. A perfect murder. <laughs> A perfect murder is correct. Behind the con- candelabra. Behind the candelabra is correct. I am I am accepting TV movies. Okay. Um, uh, Wall Street. Wall Street is correct. Wall Street money never sleeps. Wall Street money never sleeps is also correct. Solitary man. Solitary man. I love that you remembered that movie. Uh, that is correct. Basic instinct. Basic instinct is correct. Fatal attraction. Fatal attraction. As soon as I find it, it is on here. Where did you go? Fatal attraction. There you are. Correct. Falling down. Falling down. Yeah. Nineteen ninety-three. 93 okay that helps because i haven't listed by year that is correct a lot of them um oh there's some big ones still out there i know uh the american president the american president is correct the game game is correct I feel like I was just talking about one like two weeks ago. I mean, it's possible. Oh, what's that movie called? Oh, uh, King of California. Oh, yeah. King of California. Where he works at the Costco, right? (laughs) I don't know. I've never seen it. (laughs) It's a good movie. I I watched it. That is correct. Uh, Disclosure. Disclosure. 94. 94. Oh, that was what it was. Uh, it was uh, you, me, and Dupree. You, <laughs> me, and Dupree is correct. The ghost in the darkness. The ghost in the darkness is correct. Oh, uh, Las Vegas. <laughs> Lame. Las Vegas is correct. The in-laws. The in-laws is correct. Uh, he was in one of those. <laughs> Ant-Man? Ant-Man is correct. Wow. Uh, War of the Roses. War of the Roses is correct. Yeah, I, I don't think I have any more. That, don't, that's, that's upsetting. Don't say a word. Uh, don't say a word is correct. The China, never heard of that. the China Syndrome? It's with Brittany Murphy. China Syndrome is correct. And then there's one other one. Uh, it's it's also one that he did with Kathleen Turner. And it's like a Jewel of the Nile. Jewel of the Nile is correct. Oh, I, Romancing the Stone. Romancing the Stone. Well, well you're... You, yeah. yeah. That's I'd, the one you were talking about. That's Kathleen Turner, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's the one I was trying to think of, but... 
It's That's okay. We can, we, can, we can. I know. I, I know. I said Jules and I. Do you, we can do you have there. any? Do you have any more, Zach? No, I'm tapped out. You're tapped out. Okay, so here's what you missed, um, Todd. If he's an Ant Man, he's going to be an Ant Man in the Wasp. Um, I, I don't remember anything about the second. Okay, one. he also shows up in Avengers Endgame. Uh, let's see here. The ones you're going to be more upset about. He was in Haywire. Um, he was in oh, Traffic. I'm an idiot. Oh, how about yeah? How about yeah. Traffic? Yeah. Uh, then there was the Sentinel with Kiefer Sutherland and Wonder Boys. Oh, Wonder Boys! I had Wonder Boys before I started writing them down. I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not so, upset about missing the Sentinel. I can li- I can live without that. You can you can live without that one. Okay. All right. All right well, next? that all right. Next is his wife, Catherine Zeta Jones. She was born today too. Who was also born today? She wow. turned fifty-two. Not the same year though. How yeah, how, no, how many year how part are they? Twenty-five years apart, but they have the same birthday. So, Catherine Zeta-Jones has been in 29 movies. And, Zach, you get to go first this time. You have a three-movie uh, three lead. Traffic. Traffic is correct. The one they did together. Chicago. Chicago is correct. Uh, entrapment. Entrapment is correct. Ocean's... 12? Ocean's 12 is correct. <laughs> America's Sweethearts. America's Sweethearts is correct. High Fidelity? Fidelity is correct. Intolerable Cruelty? Intolerable Cruelty is correct. The, uh, the Terminal. The Terminal is correct. Uh, side yeah. Effects. Uh, side effects is correct. Um, the the legend of Zorro. The legend of Zorro is correct. Uh, was, she, was she also in Haywire? Uh, she was not in Haywire. Okay, then I'm out. He's out. Todd, you're down by three. Well, the mask of Zorro. The Mask of Zorro. Way to get the sequel before you get the original. I didn't even know there was a sequel. I thought he said the original. <laughs> this is going to be tough. Not impossible, but tough. I, I don't think I have anything. Okay. Was she well, in uh, Spirit, Legend of the Cimarron as a voice? Uh no. She's a voice actor in a few. She was in Sinbad years. Legend of the Seven That's Seas. A, I knew it was a legend somewhere. Yeah. In uh, the early yeah. 2000s, yeah. Uh she was in let's see here, the ones you could have gotten uh that may have been the easiest ones. She was in Death Defying Axe, that Guy Pierce that Houdini is. movie. Yeah, I remember that. Remember that one? She's not I was, been in a lot of big movies. Uh No Reservations. Oh. Uh so, she was in that, was that Bradley Cooper in that? I think so. Would you have counted? Uh, no, that was that other cooking movie. Yeah. Would you she was ca- in Red Two? Would you have counted Breach because Chris Cooper has sexual fantasies about her and no. uh, he's watching the entrapment <laughs> in it? No, no, I would not have counted that. <laughs> she was in Rock of Ages. Um, Never and seen it. apparently she was in The Phantom with Billy Zane. Classic. Yeah. All right, I do have a bonus yeah, category. Yeah, those masked, like, not superhero. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, I do have a bonus category. Should we go with it or should we call it good? I mean, it's I lost. Game. Yeah, you did lose. So it's up to Zach. Do you want to risk it on a bonus category or call it good? No, of course not. Okay. I want to I pick the movies. I'll save the bonus category then. All right. So Zach wins 17 to 15. And he uh, he gets to pick movies for us. It's to not watch often I get time. to beat Todd. I, I'm going to relish in my victory. Uh, are, are you saying that you only win when you get to play against me? No, I'm. I don't think I. I don't think I win that. I. I lost the last trivia against you too. So I. Uh, you know, I'll, I'm like the Orioles. I. I'm relishing uh, my victories when I get them. Maybe I'm not well, quite the Orioles. Maybe I'm more like. Uh, more like the LA Angels or something. There you go. Middle ground. All right. Let's wrap this up. Quote of the day time. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Zach, you won. You get to uh, start us off. All right. Well, I'm giving my quote of the day this week to the late, great Melvin Van Peebles, uh, influential black filmmaker, made Sweet Sweetback's Badass song. Terry, have you seen the movie Badass? It's it's one mm-hmm. of my favorite movies from the 2000s. Maybe, maybe that's the movie I got to assign you at some point. But uh, he said, uh, I make a film like I cook for my friends. I hope they like it. But if they don't, I'm prepared to enjoy it all by myself which is the way I feel about movies like Spinal Tap and uh, Dancer in the Dark. And I'm sure Terry feels that way about uh, whatever shitty Marvel movie he likes is number 98 of all time. But uh, we can enjoy them all by ourselves. So R.I.P. Melvin. Very nice. Very nice. All right. I've got I've got two quotes here. Uh, The first one is uh, I've been a little obsessed with looking up uh, TikTok videos this week of the Grace Kelly challenge. Have you guys seen this at all? Um, no. Of uh, of them singing the song where they harmonize with themselves. Anyways, I thought of it because Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell did one. And uh, and so I'm just going to quote uh, Grace Kelly by Mika, which is the song they sing. And it's, I could be brown. I could be blue. I could be violet sky. I could be hurtful. I could be purple. I could be anything you like. So that's my one quote. And then the other, and you got to look up the video, like look up Ryan Reynolds, Will Ferrell, it'll be the first thing that pops up. It's worth a watch because it's awesome. And then uh, my other quote is going to be from another honorable mention from the musical numbers, which I forgot to say, which I, I'm just sad. But one of the ones I was so sad to leave off of my 2000s list was Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Oh. And I, you know, if I have a chance to quote Dewey Cox, I'm going to, so... There's a scene in there, and I think this qualifies as a musical, right? This would be a musical. Wouldn't you say, Todd? It's. I mean, it's borderline. I'm going to see if it's actually qualified on IMDb. Because, like, it, it, it's got a lot of music in it. Anyways, so my quote is... It's uh, comedy and, music. And there we go. A, 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 my quote in this is, a, is an exchange between Dewey and his mother, played by Margot Martindale. Who, uh, who who looks at who looks at Dewey and says, "I'm just so glad you learned to play the guitar so good, even without having a sense of smell." <laughs> and he says, "It's okay, Mama. I learned how to play by ear." <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> it's just so good. Leave me my monkey. You leave me my monkey. If I was going to go with the song from Walk Hard, it would have been Let's Duet. Of course, because it's just or was it Gelato? Is that the one? <laughs> that one is not. Uh, it, it, it's not actually in the in the it's movie. On the, it's just, it's on, just the on the soundtrack. 
So is the Grace Kelly song you're talking like is that the song that that one guy sang on American Idol as his audition or like is the Hollywood song that he sang the guy that lived in a car could or something? Be. It could be. Like I want to I want to be like Grace Kelly. Yes, yes, yes. That's the song. But wow. it's, a, it's a chorus. I never from actually that. heard the song. <laughs> yeah, it's a chorus from that. You have and and what you do is you sing the chorus like five or six different times in different lines, and then you harmonize it with yourself. It's okay. Okay, Todd, quote. Well, so mine comes sort of with a story. So it's coming from my number six movie of all time, Glenn Carey, Glenn Ross. But it's because, so I, I, I put in for this this job and I didn't get it. I went to this other guy. And so that guy had his first day on the job. He came to our place and he did this like, like a spontaneous like audit thing. And instead of telling me what wasn't right, he sent an email, not to my me or to my boss, but to my boss's boss and my boss's boss's boss. <laughs> and then I got an email from my boss saying, like, did you know about this? And so what I thought of was when Ricky Roma is talking to Williamson, he's like, what you're hired for is to help us, to help us, not to f*** us up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what I would have said to him if I ever met the guy. <laughs> Oh, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Well done, Todd. Well done. Thank you. And with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode 145. We'll be back at you next week with more. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.